Welcome to the expert series brought to you by the Lupus Foundation of America. Our health education team is here to bring you experts in lupus to discuss topics to help you live better. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. My name is Lauren and I'll be your host. This month is Men's Health Month and we are talking about men's health and special considerations with lupus. And to answer some of our most asked questions, we welcome Dr. Timothy Newald. Dr. Newald is the Judith and Stuart Colton Professor of Medicine and Pathology at New York University Grossman School of Medicine. He also serves as the Director of the Colton Center for Autoimmunity. And Dr. Newald is a physician scientist working as a human geneticist and translational researcher. His lab focuses on identifying and understanding the cause of autoimmune disease and how genetic risk factors impact the immune response. His work has contributed to the underlying genetic basis of lupus and the role of type 1 interferon in triggering the disease. He also serves on the Foundation's Medical Scientific Advisory Council. Thank you, Dr. Newell, for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having me. So it's June. It's Men's Health Month. And what I really want to talk about is men's health. So we know about 10% of the cases of lupus occur in men. So mostly it's women, but about 10% do occur in men. So I'm hoping you can start us off today and help us to understand a little bit more about two things. One, why is it much less common in men than it is in women? And two, since it is less common, do you approach diagnosing a male patient any differently than you would uh, a female patient? Okay, great. Um, so, so that is correct that um, it's only about 10% of lupus patients uh, that are men and 90% women. So, um, as far as that that first question about why is that, I'll say that's still one of the larger mysteries we have in lupus, um, and I think a lot of us have thought. Once we understand that, we'll understand a lot more about lupus. So the, so the simple answer is we really don't know for sure. Um, we have uh, wondered about genetic factors, and there are some interesting studies suggesting that, um, for example, uh, people who have Klinefelter syndrome, which, which is where you have uh, two X chromosomes and a Y chromosome. You know, So normally uh, women will have two X chromosomes and men will have an X and a Y. There are some uh, genetic syndromes where you get sort of an extra X chromosome. Uh, and it's uh, been shown that in some of those cases, actually, lupus is as common uh, in women. So if you're XXY, uh, the rate of lupus is similar to an, uh, an XX female person. So, so it's interesting, but it's, it's clearly not all X chromosome. I'll say that I work in genetics and we've tried to find, you know, risk factors on the X chromosome. And we found a couple, but nothing that can explain this sort of larger mystery about why uh, women get lupus more often than men. Uh, so, so that's definitely true. But as you said, men definitely do get lupus. And 10% is not a trivial number. There are a lot of men with lupus out there. Uh, so I, I think that um, brings me into the, the second question that you had about diagnosing men with lupus. I think um, the first thing that I think of is that people are less likely to think of it, and that can sometimes delay diagnosis. And by people, I mean both both patients and physicians, I think, are maybe a little less prone to think of lupus when a man starts becoming sick with some of these symptoms than they would if it was a female patient. And so um, I think it's just important, you know, that we keep our eyes open and, and, and catch, you know, these cases as early as we can. I, I'll say that I've seen um, sometimes people be diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or uh, be diagnosed with maybe ITP, you know, for having low platelets. Uh, these are conditions that have a, a 
closer to equal male to female ratio to them. Uh, but then as you kind of dig in deeper, you realize it's actually lupus. And so, you know, at least um, in those cases, you know, they those are conditions that we see in rheumatology. And so they might be headed to a rheumatologist anyway. But I, I worry that there's there may be more diagnostic delay in general in men who have lupus. And I'll say that in, in as a field in lupus in general, we, we worry about diagnostic delay already. I think for, for women also, there's a risk of diagnostic delay because lupus can present in some mysterious ways. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's something that many people have gone through on their own journey. Yeah, you said that. It's, you're absolutely right. That 10% is not a trivial number. And I think that's something that we that sometimes gets, you know, the amount of men does get overshadowed by women. But I can definitely see how that can be an obstacle to getting a direct diagnosis. That, um, so if a patient comes into your office and has, you know, a male comes in and he has symptoms, and he's obviously at a rheumatologist's office because someone has, you know, sent him there. He has cause to believe he's got a, you know, a lupus or a rheumatological uh, condition. But um, do you do you ask a certain set of questions or do any exam that's a little bit different for men than you would for women? I'll say a lot of it is really is really similar, honestly. So I think um, that's why I gravitated to this. You know, just just thinking of it as being one of the more important things. I think. Um, you know the the laboratory evaluation is is the same basically, so we'd run the same you know sets of autoantibodies and uh, blood markers that we would do, uh, whether it's a man or a woman. Um, uh, I'll say that uh, in some ways the the more likely presentations can be different, but at the same time, you know, lupus is lupus is different in everybody. You know, that's one of the things I think we get used to taking care of lupus patients is that really there are a lot of differences between people and and which symptoms they have, which organs are involved, and so I think that's kind of the set point as a rheumatologist taking care of lupus patients, and and it does contribute to I think some of the difficulty in diagnosing and and in getting to that step from, you know, primary care or first intake to a rheumatologist. But um, uh, the the workup for, you know, for the condition is really similar. And then we usually would focus in on, um, you know, areas that are involved. You know, if there are physical symptoms, uh, we, of course, would zoom in on those. And then uh, we always screen the kidneys because we always worry about kidney involvement in lupus. And that uh, can occur without physical symptoms. Uh, so you can have kidney involvement without necessarily feeling it. You know, it doesn't um, uh, give a person pain. And so we always uh, we are always on the watch for that in both men and women. Is there a difference in the rate of kidney involvement for men versus women, or is it about the same for, for men? It might be more common in men. I'll say that in general, um, the symptoms and presentation of lupus can be more severe in men than in women. Um, and we, again, we think that's probably telling us something about disease. We don't really understand why, but it's interesting that the, you know, men get it less often, but if they do get lupus, it's probably on average a little bit more severe. Uh, I think we're still, we're still sorting through this, you know, so I think, um, you know, some explanations could come even from some of the issues I mentioned already around diagnosis, you know, so if we are more likely to to miss a diagnosis of mild lupus in a man, then maybe that could be part of it. Uh, I think we've gotten better, though, at catching lupus cases in general, and yet this um, difference seems to persist. So I think there may be something biological and not just our own sort of biases and diagnosis leading to this, that there may be an, a difference. Um, I'll say that it seems a little more common to get 
serositis uh, in men also. So that's something I've noticed in my own practice uh, is, is that um, uh, this is inflammation around the lungs or inflammation around the heart seems a little bit more common in men with lupus as well. Uh, and um, and this um, general disease severity seems to be true in, in cohort studies as well, that you if you use some of the measurements like the flea dye disease activity index that we use in clinical trials and just sort of examine your group, um, you can have higher scores, meaning more active disease in men or more mm -hmm. severe disease. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. That's really interesting. Um, so some symptoms, like you mentioned with the serositis, may be more common in men. What about... It's about alopecia. This is the hair loss, and it can occur both in men and in women with or without lupus. It definitely happens uh, in folks with lupus um, who have skin rashes with lupus and hair loss. For those listening in, uh, does this alopecia related to lupus look any different than, say, male pattern hair loss that is typical for men over a certain age? Yes. So this, um, in most cases, it's a pretty clear difference. And um, the reason I say in most cases is that uh, lupus can affect the hair in a number of different ways. Um, uh, one of the ways that you can get hair loss in lupus is if you have the discoid rash, which um, uh, many people listening may be familiar with this. It's um, uh, sort of a, a usually a raised um, hyperpigmented or red rash. And uh, unfortunately, the discoid rash is one of the scarring rashes that occurs in lupus. Uh, some of the other rashes are non-scarring, which is which is you know obviously better. None none of the rashes are pleasant, but the scarring feature of discoid is a is a really troubling part of it. So if it happens on the scalp, it can cause scarring such that the hair won't regrow afterwards. So this is one type of hair loss in lupus that when that occurs, it's typically patchy. Um, it doesn't follow any specific anatomic lines. Um, I'll say that uh, in contrast, male pattern baldness, we're all, you know, kind of familiar the, with the pattern. You know, the pattern is part of the name, and so we know it mm -hmm. usually <laughs> happens in the, you know, the kind of upper frontal areas, um, top of the head, you know, usually then preserving the uh, sides and lower back of the head for the later, you know, uh, until much later stages. And um, uh, male pattern baldness also tends to be, kind of, you know, gradually progressive. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, that's as if, you know, you know, for any listeners who have it or if you have relatives who have it, most of us know someone who has that and you kind of know the course of that. And if you look back through pictures or think of, you know, over time, it's yeah. sort of gradually progressive, you know, over years. And so so that's usually fairly easily sorted out. Um, there are, you know, there's lupus hair, which is kind of a, a brittle uh, fragility of the hairs, uh, often occurs in the frontal area. Um, that's That description, you know, is kind of different than male pattern baldness, whereas male pattern, there's a gradual thinning, you know, and this, um, mm -hmm. this brittleness isn't so much a part of that. Um, but that's one where there might be a little bit more confusion or overlap. You know, I think discoid and male pattern is, is, aren't two that are likely to get confused. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, uh, there is an increased rate of uh, alopecia areata type uh, hair loss in lupus as well, which is thought to be uh, an autoimmune type of hair loss. And that also tends to be patchy and often fairly dramatic where you can get a pretty full loss of hair. You know, again, with, with uh, male pattern baldness, usually there's a thinning that occurs that precedes full baldness and it's a more gradual process. Whereas some of the inflammatory types like alopecia areata 
can occur fairly quickly. Uh, and so, and that's, uh, I think, true of other autoimmune types of, of hair loss. So, so most of the time you can, you can tell the difference. Um, uh, there are maybe some cases that could hit the gray area, but I would say most of the time you can, you can diagnose the type of alopecia uh, in a person with lupus. Gotcha. Well, that's really helpful to, to have those kind of laid out. And I know that that, you know, we have people who will contact the health education specialist. They want to know about, you know, the hair loss and if there's anything that can be done, because there are so many products out there for male pattern baldness or to slow that hair loss. Is there anything specific that you recommend to people who have lupus related hair loss? Are there any treatments that you know of that are effective? Yeah, so definitely this is something to see your rheumatologist or if you have a dermatologist participating in your care, um, uh, it's important to get seen for this because there are things that can be done. So um, the inflammatory types of hair loss uh, will often use some of the same types of immune system medications that we would use, you know, and um, uh, particularly if it's an isolated scalp involvement, uh, you can sometimes do an, um, steroid injections, you know, for that, and, and then it's a more localized treatment. Uh, if there are other parts of your lupus that are acting up at the same time, then you may sort of get an overall, you know, immune modulation treatment like either pill corticosteroids or, um, you know, we don't like to use pill corticosteroids when we don't have to, but we still use them sometimes, or right. an adjustment in some of your other immunosuppressive medications or hydroxychloroquine if you're not already taking it. So so, the, okay. so it's definitely something to bring up because the immune-mediated types, um, you know, if it's discoid, like I mentioned, the scarring process, you do want to get on top of it. Um, you know, it's uh, it may be that some has already, you know, by the time you seek care, it may be that it's gotten started, but you still, you don't want to let it go for too long. You'd like to get on top of it as fast as you can and, and seek care. So, um, and same for the other inflammatory types, you know, because um, the non-scarring types then typically will be more reversible. And um, and it's just it's just really an unpleasant thing to have happen with your lupus, you know. I mean, there, there are many unpleasant <laughs> yeah, things, and that's yeah. that's definitely one of them. So, so yeah, see your doctor if you have um, hair loss, especially this kind of, um, you know, something where you're worried that it, it may not be male pattern, you know, get get in and get seen. Yeah, that's a good point. So, like, any kind of escalation and in, in symptoms that are noticeable, whether it's hair loss or other inflammation in the body, is a really good time to follow up with your rheumatologist and say, okay, let's let's see what's going on with, you know, your medications and um, see how your lupus is, is doing, right? Yeah, yeah. In general, lupus is, is unpredictable. And so we, we always try to get people in when something's going on or at least want to hear from you, you know, so that we can know what's what's happening. Um, I think as we, you know, try to get, you know, more effective management for lupus and hopefully better medications and all of that, we hope that we can make life more predictable. But um, but things can happen. And so definitely, you know, it, that's probably, it's really good just general lupus advice is don't be shy. When you're worried about things going wrong, reach out, you know, lup lupus in because um, uh, then we can help. That's right. And, you know, and it's, I think it's so often really hard to make that step and actually say, I need help. But that's, the best way to get the help that you need, especially with a trusted physician. And um, Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about treatments for men, um, and specifically if there are some treatments that you know of that are good for lupus that seem to work better in men versus women, um, and if there are any kind of special considerations for some of the medications that are used. I know there might be um, some that can cause um, some infertility. Is that true? And what do you kind of consider when making these treatment plans? Yeah, so um so as far as which 
uh, treatments, you know, we, we haven't got a lot of specialization about, you know, like some treatments working better in men or women, I'll say, um, at least with what we've currently been using. Okay. Um, but the second part of the question, it is, this is a consideration, is that um, in particular cyclophosphamide, uh, which is one of the treatments we use, we consider it kind of one of our, our big gun type therapies, you know. So if you mm -hmm. have a, a serious manifestation of lupus, one of the classical uh, things would be if you have acute severe kidney inflammation, you know, one of these mm -hmm. things that we're always checking for and worrying about. If that's happening, uh, cyclophosphamide would be one of the medications that would be considered. Uh, it's not the only choice, but it's one of the things that we use in that uh, setting. And um, uh, it has been shown to decrease uh, sperm count and to impact fertility. Uh, it, it happens in both men and women. Um, I'll say that in women, um, uh, it's, it's probably even a little bit bigger consideration and that it seems like um, men can probably get away uh, on average and, and a little bit better. But we still uh, have that talk with men who are going to receive cyclophosphamide about reproductive planning. and. Um, you know, there are options like banking sperm and other things that you can do mm -hmm. if you know you're going to undergo a, a course of treatment. And um, there's there's time. We make these decisions over days typically. So it's not like, you know, you have to come into the ER and you get it before anything can be done. You know, I mean, it's it's serious, but at the same time, it's um, mm -hmm. uh, the, the choice about cyclophosphamide is usually made after someone's brought into the hospital. And usually we use some corticosteroids that'll work right away. And then we sort of think about it. So there's, there's a period of time where we can have this discussion. And um, uh, of course, that's very individual, and it depends on uh, people's individual plans and concerns. But that's uh, but there are options, and it's good to to know about that before cyclophosphamide. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for shedding some light on that. I think it's I think it's great to to know that there's a little bit of time, and this is like you said, the big guns medicine. Whenever you really have active lupus and uh, and kidney involvement, uh, where you need to you need to get something in there to take down that inflammation. Um, so when we, we're talking with men uh, or men that call in to the health education specialist, we often hear that um, it can be really difficult with lupus because it's so unpredictable and because the fatigue and the pain can be um, debilitating. Um, you know, traditionally men are the ones that are had have been for many years working outside the house and bringing in large in the largest income, but. Now we're, you know, now we're not as much, but still rings true for a lot of folks out there. And so we do have people contact us and they ask us about work with lupus and if there are workplace accommodations or considering the kind of work that they do. Do you get these kinds of requests in your office uh, for men with lupus who are concerned about working? And what do you usually recommend for for men uh, as far as any workplace accommodations or considering their work because of lupus? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and um, it's, you know, it's definitely highly individualized. I'll say um, at the first, I'd say from the physician side, usually the first things that I try to think about is uh, which parts of this are reversible and maybe you know, active inflammation, something that we're going to aggressively treat and get on top of um, versus which parts are, are more structural and maybe things, you know, like, you know, some, some bad things can happen sometimes where, where maybe you lose mobility or you lose, you know, something where we, we aren't going to be able to fix it with anti-inflammatory treatments. And I think um, that's 
you know, that's that's one of the early decisions. I just bring that up because there are a number of things with lupus that are fairly treatable. So I think for people that want to, you know, stay on the job and are worried about having to change what they do, um, if it's a new diagnosis, then usually the answer is that you're going to you know, go for it for a little while with treatment. You know, you might need some time off to, to sort of get treated and get better if you're fairly sick. But uh, as far as longer term planning, um, it's probably too, you know, it's probably hard to decide right off the bat, you know, until you go at it for a while and see where you come out. Um, uh, but there there are some things that can happen, like, um, you know, avascular necrosis happens sometimes, and that's where you can have part of a, a bone that um, uh, gets sick and actually dies off, you know, and so then sometimes people need joint replacement surgeries or may have some increased, you know, troubles with mobility. Um, and so, you know, there, there are things that can happen that can impact your work, especially if you have a job that's physically demanding. And so then in those cases, then sometimes accommodations are needed. Um, but I'll say that's it's, it's not the majority. So I think that's the good news is that usually we can get people through. Um, there's an unpredictability, um, but it, I'd say it's more common that you might need some days off during the year than that you would have to do a more permanent lifestyle modification. But again, this is all speaking in generalities, you know, because um, mm -hmm. uh, it really depends on how severe lupus has been for you and what it's affecting. And, and as we all know, it can affect a lot of different things. So, um, but in, in general, in broad strokes, I guess that's how I'd answer that question is that, it's, you know, it, it's, it's individual. And then there's a, uh, um, there are a lot of ways you can get on top of it. It sometimes takes going through a couple medicines. I'll say that's maybe the, mm -hmm. that's where I'll end this one is that um, it does take some patience on the part of both the patients and the physicians, unfortunately, because sometimes it takes a little while to find the medical program that really works for you and what is the best balance for you. And uh, I'll say that in the field, that's another, it's a research area that I'm I'm hopeful about that I'm hoping we can find, you know, better ways to understand which works for which person at what time, you know, all, the, all those kind of questions. Right, for those right, of you yeah. with lupus listening, you probably, you've been down this road, you know, trying to find what's yeah. the optimal program for me. And then it changes sometimes, you know, the disease changes, your body changes. And so, so there is a lot, you know, there's a lot of this that goes on. So unfortunately it does take some patience, but, um, but yeah, definitely work with your physician around all of these issues. Yeah, I think that's really great. That communication is so key. And yes, you're absolutely right. It does look different from person to person. It's kind of a moving target and, um, you know, how a person's going to feel. So that patience and communication, um, that's some really great advice there. I do want to say, too, I think it could be really helpful for a lot of people out there who maybe are getting started on treatment plans. And like you said, they're kind of having to try a couple of different options before they get the right fit. Um, for men to connect with other men. And um, we have a really great men's virtual support group, which people can get enrolled in at lupus.org. So that might be another great place to just kind of bounce ideas off other men uh, who find themselves in a similar situation and be encouraged that, like you said, this can change over time. It doesn't always have to be permanent. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I think that's great. I've, I've had male patients, you know, uh, say to me, uh, I thought men don't get this, Doc, you know, and, right. <laughs> and it's, it's less common, but, you know, but on the, when I think, usually when someone says that to me, then I, I think about these things like, oh gosh, this probably feels fairly lonely, right? And that you, if you think that mm -hmm. men don't get it at all, you know, that, um, uh, and I uh, I have actually referred people to this um, uh, support group, and I think I think it's a great thing because it is, you know, you, you can sometimes feel alone or you think, gosh, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, supposed to get this. I thought only women get this, and that's not true, you know, so it can help to talk to other people that have been down the similar path. Yeah, absolutely.
Well, you know, as we close up today, I have one last question. Um, do you have any advice that you give to men out there who think they might have lupus or men who are living with lupus? Anything that you can impart today? Um, I think, you know, we, we hit a number of important topics. I would say, um, I'd probably, as a point of emphasis, you know, um, do see the doctor, do get checked out. Um, I, I'm having Y chromosome myself, and uh, I, I'll admit that I'm myself not always the most likely to go to the doctor. Um, and I think, you know, this is if you take a, a data-driven perspective about, you know, what percentage of patients, you know, how often men seek care versus women seek care, it's less for men. We have to be honest about that, men, that we don't seek care as much as we probably should. Um, but lupus is dangerous, and it is one of these things where it's important to take care of yourself and to get out there, and that will help you stay strong, keep doing the things you want to do, you know, and so it is It is really important. I think probably the most important thing I would say, both if you're worried about whether you may have it or if you do have lupus, is to connect with the healthcare system, let your doc know your concerns, you know, they'll check it out with you. If you already have lupus, obviously you're, you're past that point, but then, you know, stay, definitely stay in touch. We always worry if our lupus patients are not in touch. Um, you know, sometimes it's for a good reason that people are feeling great, um, but we don't want to be out of touch when someone's getting sick. So, um, so I think that's maybe what I close with and, and men's health month is that I think that's a, a challenge for all of us men is to try to make sure we really keep up on the health side to keep up with ourselves. So, um, and, that's particularly important in lupus. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Dr. Newall, for your time today. This has really been an excellent discussion, and I'm so very pleased that we had the chance to really dive in uh, on the topic of men with lupus with you. Great. Thank you for having me. For those of you listening in, to access more information about men and lupus, Please find more information on our National Resource Center on Lupus by visiting lupus.org forward slash resources. If you'd like to learn more about support groups for men, please visit lupus.org forward slash support group. To listen to additional episodes of the Expert Series, you can visit lupus.org forward slash the Expert Series, where you can also subscribe to get alerts when podcasts are released. And if you'd like to speak with one of our health education specialists, you can go to lupus.org forward slash health educator or call 1-800-558-0121, extension 136. And finally, to connect with others with lupus from all over the world, I invite you to check out our online support community, Lupus Connect, where you can talk with others, find emotional support, and discuss practical insights for coping with the daily challenges of lupus. You can find the community at lupus.org forward slash lupus connect. Thank you and have a wonderful day.